I realized again, and I share this a lot with many youngsters, and I say, Mrs. Jacobs saw written on my forehead, perseverance. And I share with many youngsters that success is not necessarily for the most connected and the wealthiest. It is for those who are hungry for that success the most. It is for those who push for it the most. It is for those who persevere the most. And a warm welcome to the Change Exchange, where we talk about change, how we make it happen, and how we deal with it when life makes it happen. In this podcast series, Change in One Generation, we talk to South Africans who are taking leading roles in our world, while often coming from humble beginnings. So in one generation, they are changing their own and often their families' lives, and in the process, they're changing our country. Joining me at the microphone, Dr. Frank Magwekwe, who teaches financial wellness and personal empowerment at Gibbs, the Gordon Institute for Business Science. I always worry that I will fluff that one. Yeah, it's fine. You got it right, <laughs> Ruda. And one of his main areas of research is the science of change which Frank then applies to the stories that our guests tell us. Before we introduce today's mystery guest, let's just recap in case people join us without having listened to the whole of episode one. What do you mean when you talk about a science of change? So when we use the word science behind this concept of change, what we are really saying is for most people, when they think about change and when we read autobiographies, when we see movies and when we just encounter stories of how other people have changed, often the temptation is to sit back and say, no, that's them. That's their story. It's very different from mine. Me, I'm not good at change or it's difficult for me, you know, to navigate change. So what we're doing with the with the privilege of listening to South Africa's amazing stories is to demystify, is to let our listeners know that change is not really a black box. There is scientific evidence that tells us those people that will navigate change well, they do certain things quite differently from people who struggle when it comes to change. And so we have formulas that tell us if you approach change in a certain way, there is high likelihood that you navigate it well. So we are demystifying, we are unpacking, we are opening the black box of change. Give us your, your formula. D times V times F, F is greater, than, greater R. than R. Absolutely. I'm a good student, huh? Absolutely. I was going to say exactly <laughs> that. Truth has nailed it. And so, folks, we hate, we even have a formula for change. It says change can only take place when three things are available to the individual embarking on a change journey. They have to be dissatisfied with the status quo, some unhappiness with what's happening around them. And the D stands for that. And then we say times V. The V stands for compelling vision. There is something that attracting me to the future and I'm going to work through change to get there. Times F. F stands for first steps. That, that ability to take baby steps to embark on this change journey. And you know, folks, we are saying D times V times F is greater than R. R being resistance to change. 
And because it's a product, none of those three elements can be zero because zero times anything is zero. We need a little bit of the D, a little bit of the V, and a little bit of the F. And there you've got it. D times V times F has to be greater than R, resistant to change, for an individual to embark on a change journey. Thank you. Lovely. <laughs> and now it is really my great pleasure to introduce our guest for this episode, Setuhani Manshidi. Setuhani is the head of CSI at Investec. He qualified as a social worker with an honours in social policy and management, cum laude, from well UCT, and wow. has an MCOM in business management from UJ. But I know Setuhani from a shared involvement in a wonderful organization called Study Trust, which also played a huge role in your life, and, and we'll, we'll get to that. But Setuhani, I first want to take you back to your, your childhood, being a little boy in a village in Limpopo, living in a mud hut. Hmm? Mm. What was it like? Murray from Study Trust wrote somewhere that people grow up in the chaos of poverty. Mm. Is that a mm. description? Mm. Very good description. Thank you so much for the opportunity. God, those were very difficult times and moments. But there were moments that shaped who we are today. You know, my mom was a domestic worker in Joburg. And we, my brother and I grew up alongside a cousin and with my grandmother. In, in three mud structures, actually. One was supposedly the kitchen, one was supposedly the bedroom, and one was supposedly the living room. If we think of the, the formula that Frank gave us now, mm. um, where did you find a vision of something that would be different? So I often tell youngsters when I tell my story that the fact that my mother was a domestic worker was to be a blessing in disguise. In fact, it was to be a silver lining in what could have been a very dark cloud. Because the Sussmans in, in, in Bramley at the time insisted as a Jewish family that during this, the longest school holidays, June, July, and the December holidays, my brother and I were to come over. Um, and it is one of, on one of those visits that I often say I had my aha moment. Mrs. Sussman wakes up one day and says, we're going out for lunch. Oh, going out for lunch. Now, I, I had never been taken out for lunch. So you yeah. are how old at this point? <laughs> <laughs> I must have been then in, in, in what was standard eight. Going out for lunch? Okay. And we went to the dollhouse on, on, on Rebotha Avenue. And, and you didn't even have to leave your car at the dollhouse. You, know, you sat in the car and they all come to say, what, what would you like to drink? What would you like to eat? Like, Hot dog and chips, please. I mean, not that I had any, but this is what Mrs. Sussman said. We're going to have a hot dog and chips. And then this is the only other time I'll own being from a dusty rural village of Khapasha. I still say to them, can I have Coke, please? And I say, oh, sure, but I, I don't end there. And I say, the green one. Now, you've got to give it to Coca-Cola because every single cold drink in my village was a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mrs. Sussman doesn't end there. She says, then we're going out for a movie. Now, this is all on the same day, right? I'm out for a movie. Now, I've got to set the scene that says, in my village, we had the opportunity to go watch TV, Right. Many a times, it was so far away from my home, right? And depending on whether you're going to watch a black and white or color TV, you pay a different amount. So if you were to watch a black and white car battery powered, you'd pay 25 cents. And if you were to watch color 
generator powered, you'd pay 50 cents. It you was know, your only experience. That's, that yeah. was my only experience of having to go and watch a movie. And, and here Mrs. Sussman says, we're going to watch a movie. And then we get to the cinema. i got to tell you, the, the chairs, I mean, we were seated on much better chairs than the ones we seated on. And, and I must tell you, the, the sound acoustics, you know, it's like, this is my first, I'm, I'm relaying it because it's my first experience of a movie. It, it, made, it made me feel like I wasn't just watching a movie. It made me feel like I was part of a movie. And it, it was, it was at that moment that my aha moment happened. It was when I concluded this is the life I want for myself, for my children. It's on the backdrop of understanding that my grandmother, my late grandmother, was herself a domestic worker. All her three, four daughters were, do- were domestic workers. Right? And I concluded at that point that this is the life I wanted to have. And my life will be different. My life is going to be different. And, and I went back to school. I went back home. My, uh, and, I, I, and, and I started going to school on Saturday and Sundays to teach myself. Not, not because they were teachers, but because I, I, I had the belief that perhaps through this education, I could live that life that I saw. So you immediately started extra classes, extra lessons? Yes, for myself. I just went, I took my books and I, I, I read and I did. I just, I, anything and everything I could pick up, even old newspaper clippings, I would read, or just because I had this this sense that what 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 I, what the the dusty rural village of Khapatla and what I had experienced then were chalk and cheese. They were worlds apart. But my goodness, I know for sure the life I wanted wasn't the one, the current one that I lived in the dusty rural village of Khapatla. But but what I got is a glimpse on 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 that visit said to me, there's a world of possibility. And that's what was going to happen. Dr. Frank, we were talking before about the difference between just a vague hope and actually doing something. Absolutely. And I think this comes out so strongly because what we're listening to here is a huge change moment. And I'm using the word huge deliberately because this is a young person Right, you know, they experience something almost just to paraphrase, total out of this world. And I want us to pause there, right? Because in the mind of this young boy, what is happening? It's my goodness. I've always believed there is this world that I'm used to in the dusty rural village. Now I see this, right? And there lies in one of the key moments of change. And there's a big academic way that, 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 that talks to that idea. It's this idea of socialization, really saying we learn about life through experiences, as Mrs. Sussman you know, offered our guest, seeing what our parents do, seeing what our teachers do, reading books and movies, right? But that's not enough. And that's what we're talking about, right? That's not enough. So I've seen this life that's really drawing me into it. The next step, and that's the powerful step, is to say, I want to start working towards that, right? I want to start working towards that. And therein lies the idea of, I have a future that I'm dreaming of, and if I work towards it, I think it can be achievable. And so hope, the idea of hope becomes, it's, I hope things will be okay in the future. I, I trust I can achieve this, but I can't just 
hold on to that. I need to do something about it. And at such a young age, it's unbelievable, really, for such a young person to connect the dots and immediately start towards working on it like that through the extra lessons, for example. People don't spend a lot of time thinking about financial services. They simply think about the money they need to do things and the things they need to do with money. That's why at Brightrock, we don't think of ourselves as a financial services provider. Rather, we're a money company. In fact, we're the needs-matched money company. Everything we do is about meeting people's changing needs. That's why we created the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. And because we want to meet people's changing needs throughout their lives, we set out to learn everything and share everything there is to know about change. We call it Change Science, and you can learn all about it at the Change Exchange, a free resource that's filled with tips, tools, and inspiring stories to help you navigate change in your life. You can find more on changeexchange.co.za or on your preferred podcast platform. Just search for Change Exchange. Made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Welcome back to Change in One Generation, where our guest is Setluhani Manshidi, head of CSI at Investec. But then the study trust bursary, that made all the difference, huh? Yeah, so then come the end of my matric year, as a result of all the efforts, I'm named the top performer. In Limpopo? Or uh, in, in my school. In your school. I'm, I'm named the top performer. And then I say to my mom, I won't really like to go to university, but my mom looks at me and says, there's no money for you to go to university. And I often joke because currently, and when I, I address youngsters, currently my daughter is in a gap year. But there's a difference between my daughter's gap year and mine. Mine was a forced gap year because there was no other alternative. There was no other choice. My daughter had the choice to go to university, but chooses not to go to university. Mine was a forced gap year at that point in time. And then in that year, if there was ever a time I practiced letter writing, it must have been that year. Must have written about 101 bursary application letters. Ruda, you could wake me up in my sleep and I would tell you what a, a, a bursary application letter looks like. I'll tell you that it has two addresses. It's a re-bursary application. Dear sir or madam, I hereby wish to apply for a bursary. I, I mean, How did you know that? Where <laughs> I'm did thinking you f- about the same. <laughs> Where did you find that recipe? That was how we were taught. It, it, it actually does part of English. So we used to do formal letters in English. And luckily, that's what they taught. So I spent that year practicing that and I send so many letters around and many of those did not and again here I must acknowledge the late Mrs. Sussman may her soul rest in peace because in that gap year when I said to her I was going to write letters back then you used to get sheets of stamps and she bought sheets of stamps for me she bought stacks and stacks of envelopes. So the one thing is, the post office was far. I didn't mind walking to the post office and I'd normally go and post many at a time anyway. But it was great to know that I had the the stamps and I had the envelopes. And she she bought me a number of exam pads because then it was from which I could write these letters. 
In many instances, there was not a response. And then, in, and then there were cases where I got a response. And then it would, it, you'd open this letter and say, Dear we regret to inform you. Right? Letter after letter would be sorry. And then, ironically, at the bottom of the letter, it'll still say, We wish you the very best of luck with your future <laughs> endeavors. Like, I mean, there's just something that did not gel with me. That even today, as as I I manage bursaries alongside alongside my colleagues at Investec CSI, they know it's personal. I do not want to see that line. We wish you the very best of luck when you are in in, in actually communicating a decline in something because it was just personal. But but then but then I I remember this as if it was yesterday, arrived a brown looking like Amteleka officially stamped envelope type. It was stamped study trust and 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 I opened this brown envelope and this brown envelope says as I read it, dear Sotlohani Manchiri, we have the pleasure of I jumped before knowing the pleasure of what because I had seen <laughs> the many other ones that had were just the declines <laughs> and and then it said with the pleasure of offering you a six thousand anniversary to go to university. Then I shared with my mom, but my mom says, but that's not enough. And I said, I am going to the University of Cape Town. And very often people ask me, but why that determination? What, when actually it didn't look like it was going to be possible to go to And I'll tell you what had happened. So at the time that I was sending all these letters around bursary applications, at the same time I was sending university admission applications. And at UCT, I was a, I, I given admission for law, right? And mine, because I had already had my metric results, was not provisional admission, it was definite admission, and admission for social work, right? But what also kept it going is that then you'd have a student housing letter. So they then arrived a student housing letter that said, we have the pleasure of offering you an accommodation in Leo Market Hall, right? So it did not matter to me that I didn't have enough money. But there was just too much for me to, to, to lose in what had come before me that had said to me, we're ready for you. We're waiting for you. And, and, and irrespective of the fact that they didn't have, I didn't have the money. And I don't, you don't understand this. The admissions letters, the university booklets, you don't know in that gap year how many times I read those. I bet you I could tell you the contents of those letters at the time and the booklets without reading them out loud. But it is what kept me going. It is what kept me sane. It kept me together. It kept me feeling this future of mine is still possible. It made the vision real. Absolutely. And what we see here, it's amazing how in some instances we see big moments of change they all require motivation as a key part. Sometimes it's external motivation, people believing you, patting you on the back, you can do it, go for it. But often that's not enough. And you need, <clears throat> excuse me, internal motivation. And you can see what's driving this young boy, the letters, the accommodation, the offer already of social work to go and study. So within the young boy, what you are realizing is this opportunity that's coming through these letters is taking him back to that lunch with Mrs. Sussman. I'm getting close to the life that I want for myself and my kids. He didn't need 
substantial external motivation. The drive is inside, right? And so what we see here, and we spoke about it, of the role of resilience in, in, in change, right? Resilience is this bouncing back from disappointment, right? So you can see the disappointment, hundreds of, no, we, we decline you, we regret you, there's no opportunity. But because I have such a compelling vision, I'm holding on to it. That is what drove this motivation saying, no Maganjan, I will go to university. I'm not going to listen to my mother saying, you know, 6,000 is not enough. So often ideas like resilience, ideas like optimism, you know, they look like it's, it's, it's just kind of academic concept. But when you see them in action like this, you realize indeed there is a formula for change and we're listening to you. But uh, you just, uh, said Lohan, you just got on a bus. No, so, you, you didn't so, know, really know so where you I, were going I, to I, land. I, I, I did. I did never, and you'd never been. I'd never been to UCT. I'd yeah. never, be, and, and never been to Cape Town. So on the eve of my departure, everybody comes to number six Hill Road, my aunts, my cousins, everyone, literally, you know, I still remember it vividly as if it was yesterday, them pulling those suitcases and my aunt going to Louis Botha, stopping a taxi that has just dropped the last passenger to say, you, you're taking no one else. You're coming to number six. There's all of us. We are about to go to Park Station to take the son of ours for his, on his first trip. And I was to board back then the Greyhound bus. And there was another moment that was fairly significant. It was that moment at that park station. Everybody in my family, my grandmother must have been in her 80s already, cried. Everyone, my mother, my grandmother, my cousins, they all cried. It was just so significant. And 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 I told myself, I'm not going to cry. You know, I'm the man. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm the one who made the choice to go to UCT. Guess what? Less than th 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 three kilometers into that trip, guess who was crying? Okay. <laughs> obviously, it was me. Yeah. I tell you the significance of these tears is every time the tough got going at UCT, I was reminded that those tears were tears of hope, that there were tears of expectation. There were tears that said, we had been promised a better life for all. We hadn't realized it. But maybe through you, we will realize this better life for all. And it was... Every moment when the tough got going, I was to draw immense energy. But it's also an enormous weight on your shoulders. But I understood that. I understood that, that in my village, in that school of mine, there was a lot that was to be expected out of me. Because they were going to say, so-called top performer in the school, what happened to him? You know, in my own village, in my own family, the, the, this very individual that was our hope, what happened to him? I, I arrive at UCT, I go to the financial aid office, Mrs. Jacobs, God bless us all. She looks at this letter and she says, but Sitlohan, you've only got 6,000 rands to study. And before she could say that, I looked at her and I said, Mrs. Jacobs, do you know how far I've had to travel to get here? <laughs> before she could even respond, I said, in any event, even if I wanted to go back home, there's no money to go back home. <laughs> And I think, again, at that point in time, I realized again, and I, sh I share this a lot with many youngsters, and I say, Mrs. Jacobs saw written on my forehead, perseverance. And I share with many youngsters that success 
is not necessarily for the most connected and the wealthiest. It is for those who are hungry for, uh, for that success the most. It is for those who push for it the most. It is for those who persevere the most. And Mr. Jacobs says, it's okay, uh, go to student housing so they can let you in and come and see me tomorrow. And the rest, as they say, and did, did, did the university then give you a loan or yeah, a bursary? Yeah, or was, a... Back then, they used to have a, what they called a TESA, which is similar to what uh, then became an, an NSFES. Yes. So I got a TESA loan, partly to do it. Along the lines, I got other funding from South Africa Institute of Race Relations. Along the lines, I started getting merit awards for, because that was the other. That the first six months were rough, but after that, I was listed on the Dean's Academic Merit List every single year. I, I, I worked, I grafted. I mean, I, 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 I often say this to youngsters, and I say, you know, hard work pays. And I know, I've seen it, I could. You know, I, I, got, I was so, I often say, for example, I've never looked for a job in my life. Even on the eve of my graduation, Accenture comes to a campus and says, we want to have a word with you. Because back then they had a way of getting access to academic records and whatever, and they had the sense that this is somebody we want to speak to. And wait, wait, wait. Let's pause there for a moment. There are lots of uh, notes on your pad, Dr. Frank. You read my body language. I was, I was leaning in. I was, Ruta, I need a chance, please. And of course, we want our wonderful listeners to benefit from this amazing story. So there are a few things that come up for me. We spoke about them in the previous episode. I want to highlight, Ruda, the role of social support in, in, in change. Mrs. Sussman has come strongly in this story, the mom. And then now we introduce to the granny and everybody else who jump into this combi and off they go to say goodbye, all the best at UCT, right? And often what we don't realize, I think I used the expression in the previous episode that change is a team sport. You need people who deeply care. You need people, they might not even be giving you money or something tangible, Ruda, but your sense of, my goodness, these people have my back. They believe in me. And of course, we heard from our delegate, uh, from our guest that I was happy I could carry that expectation. So I want to emphasize the role of, of, of social support. The other key theme coming through here, you know, the struggles, then the 101 best applications, then this opportunity with study trust camp. What is key is this idea that often we navigate and manage change well because we have experienced difficulties, we have experienced challenges. It's almost like those prepare us for the bigger challenges that lie ahead. And unfortunately, what happens when you deal with change, Ruda, is this. In the moment of the struggle, let's say the rejection letter, it's very difficult for most people to see any silver lining out of it. Because you're thinking, I don't know what's going to happen because you want to know exactly what's going to happen in the future. How will I get this person? But what we're hearing from this story is almost a sense of optimism. You know, that idea that things are going to be okay. I don't need to know exactly how. And so we see the role of and I'm social not giving support. Up. I'm not giving up. <laughs> and this idea of optimism that carries me to UCT. And I only have 6,000, but I think it's going to be okay. So what 
can we learn from this? Again, what we see is simply this. People who successfully navigate change, they do certain things differently from people who struggle with change. And so when we talk about the science of change, we're saying you can build a muscle of optimism. You can build a muscle of resilience. And you can work harder at building that social support network because you need that during moments of change. Thank you. So, Tukhani, there's so much in your story that <laughs> and we, we don't, you know, people don't listen for more than half an hour. So I want to kind of fast forward. When you stepped into, because this is something that fascinates me also, kids who come from a background where no one got up in the morning and put on a suit and went to the office. How did you, the first time you walked into an office environment, I mean, it's, it's another different world. How did you navigate that? It it was it was hard. It, it it was it was it was it was difficult. It felt very foreign. Mm. Quite frankly, it was a, my my first entry into Accenture at the time. That was my first entry into into an office setup. I had never been. I had never seen. I had never been exposed to the same. And and and, and the pressures of it also came with along the lines of you know. We, we, we take a lot of things for granted. So we would, we would arrange welcome lunches, dinners, and so on and so forth. You know, back in the dusty little village of Hapas, we don't use a fork and knife to eat. We didn't. Yet the immediate pressure of being at a welcome dinner at Accenture or a lunch was the, 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 the first getting used to. So, I mean... Mrs. Sussman had tried exposing me to it, but it wasn't something I was very used to. So in the early days, even the menu itself, I used to choose very carefully as to what was on the menu so that if I can avoid using the fork and knife and I can use a spoon instead, I'd do that. It is, it's, it's things that people take for granted that make it a lot more difficult. And then, of course, you, you, you got to remember that people show up very differently. So I grew up in a in a culture that was a lot more reserved. You didn't look at people in the eyes. It, otherwise, it would, it would be misinterpreted as disrespect. And yet, here I was in a setup that sounded like people expected me to do, you know, a, a confident handshake. It's not... Lift your chin. Yes. Look me in the eye. So it was hard. Really, that transition... And the expectation that at the same time I had to deliver was very hard. I mean, it, it just it felt so layered in many respects. It felt layered from um, cultural integration to ability to now. I mean, you, at points you start thinking, am I actually capable of doing the task? Because it's, it's, Do I belong here? Do I belong here? Because there's so many other pieces that influence. But, 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 but nevertheless... I used to go back home and I said, this is the life that I wanted. This is, this is, this is what I wanted and I've got to make it work. Even I, want to, I want to get back to that, but I just Dr. Wanted to Dr. Frank makes <laughs> frantic notes. <laughs> Thank you, so Rina. he has something Please to say. Keep an eye on my writing and at least I know I'm going to get a chance. <laughs> so I just wanted our, our, our listeners to understand the role of... Um, 
various stages of change. What do I mean by that? I just want to quickly summarize what we have heard on this amazing journey. So we've got going, growing up in rural Opo, right? And of course, we know what kind of rural mud huts is the picture has been painted for us. Then I want to move to Mrs. Sussman. We go to the movie. We go out for lunch. And then Mrs. Jacobs, I can't go back, you know, at UCT. I'm here already. A plan is made. Then working hard at UCT. Then we've got this big jump to Accenture. And we are hearing kind of the challenges of, of, of do I belong here? Maybe managing a little bit of self-doubt. What all this tells us, Ruda, is this. Managing and navigating change, it's a muscle that we build. Just like any other physical activity that we do, we don't go to the gym and say, I went once, I'm done. So often when we're struggling with change, we don't realize the gift that has been bestowed on us of dealing with that change. And when you look back, you have been made ready to deal with bigger challenges later because you've managed so much change. I just thought it was so important to bring out. And as we listening to, how did I find my way with the challenges at Accenture? We hear our guests going back to, but I've overcome all these other changes in my life. I looked back on them and they gave me the energy to propel because this is the life that I want. I want to finish off with this. That expression talks to self-efficacy. Self-efficacy, the belief that I can set goals and achieve them in spite of obstacles. And where does it come from? From having experienced difficulties, challenges and overcoming it, them. We created the Change Exchange because at Bright Rock, we love change. And we wanted to know and share everything there is to know about change and how it impacts our lives. We call it Change Science. Change Science shows that everyone can get better at navigating change and that in all moments of change, there's always opportunity. To learn more about Change Science, visit the Change Exchange, our free resource that's filled with tips, tools and inspiring stories to help you navigate change in your life. Just like the stories in this podcast, you can find many more on changeexchange.co.za or on your preferred podcast platform. Just search for Change Exchange. Made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Welcome back to Change in One Generation, where our guest is Setluhani Manshidi, head of CSI at Investec. At Investec, you, as you say, you mentor young people. That is a, it's a huge thing for you. Has there been research internationally? Because I know this whole first generation idea is, it's not only South Africa. There's a Quite lot true. of research yes. in America. I even read a paper once about Welsh miners yeah. where the kids went over the mountain. Yeah. The idea of how the how it gets passed on to the next to the next intake 
Is there research around Absolutely that? Absolutely there is. I mean, if, if you look just, you know, in North America, if you look in the U.S., for example, you know, you hear amazing stories just in terms of this idea of I'm a first generation to go to college, as an example. And what then do you do in terms of kind of the responsibility bestowed on you, but also as you raise your family? So a lot of research suggests the following, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, our guest does that because he's an amazing storyteller. So one of the ways that you can make sure without being kind of hard on the next generation or your immediate kids and nephews and nieces is storytelling. It's getting them to understand that the space that I occupy in society, what I do now, I just didn't arrive there. There was a journey and I want to constantly remind you of that journey, the journey of struggles, the journey of overcoming, the journey of social support from other people, the role optimism played in my own life. And of course, we mustn't forget, specifically mentioning the Mrs. Jacobs of this world, the Mrs. Sussman, because as we do that, Ruda, and the nieces, the nephews, the kids are listening to our story, they learn without you overemphasizing the point that, well, you know, success requires hard work, perseverance, optimism. But they also learn that you never really are salesmen. Mm. And storytelling plays that role. Yeah. Mm. Do you have that experience? No, I, I mean, I relate to it a lot. I think the, what exposure teaches us so many things. And I, I really want to pay special tribute to Mrs. Sussman. So part, and, and I, I, I was deliberate at pointing out that they were a Jewish family. Because Mrs. Sussman taught me very early on the concept of what is a mitzvah. And a, a concept of a mitzvah in the Jewish tradition and religion is one good deed a day. And, and, and this, this was to play a very instrumental role in the choice that I had of, of careers. I already said to you earlier on that I was accepted for law social and social work. And having struggled in the way that I struggled, and that gap year being used as a, as a reflection moment, and being reminded of a, mitz, a concept of a mitzvah, Mr. Sussman would go out of a way to do something good for someone. And people, it was unheard of generally for men to go do social work. And I chose to go do social work for that very reason. And I'm glad I did because part of it was to say I felt the responsibility that I was very privileged to be exposed much more than the many children I grew up with in the dusty rural village of Hapal. And my role in society should be to bring that kind of exposure and hope to those, to many who in, grew up in similar backgrounds. So how do you help the youngsters who now have bursaries and who kind so, of live so, under your hands? So, 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 I mean, take How do you make that huge change, a huge step so, into so, the office easier? So, 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 I mean, besides the office, take for example, when I got to UCT, none, not, no one in my family could relate to the environment I was in. Yeah. Right? What, my year, mom, what year was this? This must have been in 96 or 95, roundabout. My, my mom would say one or two things when I got into UCT. And, and I said to her, it was tough. I had an assignment. Had, she couldn't relate. She'd say, education is important, my son. 
and I'll pray for you. I have no doubt <laughs> that I'm partly here because yeah. of my mom's prayers. Yeah. But high hindsight being a perfect science, yeah. I could have benefited from somebody who had navigated their journey. So one of the first things when I got into Investec CSI, one, championed the establishment of a bursary program because of what it had done for me. Two, I said, it was not about throwing money at the, at the problem. Every single bursary recipient of Investec is to be prepared with an Investec employee as a mentor to help them navigate, to help them make sense of the world that they're going into. And it was, it's been one of the most successful mentorship programs that we've run over the, the last the decade and a half, past decade and a half. Give us, give us some, some theory. How does that kind of relationship work? Why does it work? Why is it important? It's so important because it touches on a few things. So if I answer that, I just want to mention something powerful that came up for our listeners. So our guest says, I wanted to pay, sorry, he said, I want to pay special tribute just now to a Mrs. Sussman. Constantly, we have had him passionately talking about the social support, those who helped him move forward. And what is coming out is the role of gratitude. Absolutely key for resilience. It doesn't mean you've got everything you need in life. It means I pay special tribute to those who helped me to get to where I am, even though I'm still aspiring to go somewhere in the future. So another tool we can use to navigate change is just being grateful of where we are right now. I wanted to highlight that specifically. Coming back to your question, I think the power of, of, of mentoring comes through the idea that this varsity students at UCT, at VETS, at UJ, wherever they are, a recipient at of this Investec bursary, they are being paid with a mentor. Now, what is a mentor? So a mentor is just someone who's a little bit wiser, someone who has walked the journey that you're currently walking, and perhaps even most importantly, they listen well, and they help you solve the problem that you bring to them. They don't give you the answers. They ask you questions, right? And they ask deliberate questions because they're drawing from their own experience, and they help you get your answer. Again, Ruda, what does it illustrate about the change journey of this recipients, social support. We need others around us to help us navigate change. Is it not said that often we run around with the impression, yo, I'm facing change, I'm just on my own, I don't even want to talk you know, kind of to other people, and we miss the beauty of having other people walk with us on the journey of change. But it's probably also sometimes quite difficult if you are in if you are having a rough time, how can I put this? You close down. You try and protect yourself. Mm. While what you're saying is reach out, yeah. find someone. You know, you know the, the most important thing that I feel worked well. So, I mean, one of, one of the other individuals I must pay tribute to was the Reverend Jan Hofmeyer. He was at the head of, of study trust at the time. And he used to visit us on campus once a, a semester. And Wonderful man. He looked like the big friendly giant. Well, yes. still does. I yeah, suppose. still does. Oh, wow. Six foot seven or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A, an, an amazing person. Right. But what what taught what he taught me without knowing was a lot of the times when 
you are in a dark place in a dark corner of sorts. All you need is perspective. That's all you need. Not not anyone that's going to tell you or be dismissive of the reality that you're in. But it's a perspective that says, look at how far you've come. It's a perspective that says, I used to complain a lot, as one wise man said, about not having shoes until I met somebody without legs. Right? It's it's perspective. So the mentorship relationship is an important one. So even yourself, when you when 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 you have a high temptation of closing out, of of going into hibernation, because there are moments like that that you feel like you need to go into hibernation. Sit under a blanket. Yeah. Is is get into conversations with others so that you can get perspective. It's never that it'll necessarily solve what you're dealing with. But perspective helps you. You know, it's like, even if it doesn't make sense immediately that day, tomorrow I wake up and I'm reflecting on what was said in the conversation I had. And I'm like, I'm ready to pick up the pieces again. But if I ever stayed in hibernation, I may not come out of that hibernation because I've got no other lens that says to me, there's an ability to come out. And you know what we are hearing from our guests through that the role of self-awareness in change. How am I feeling? Angry, frustrated, joyous, optimistic. Or at the same time, what are my thoughts saying to me? Don't go and meet other people. Go under the blanket, hibernate to use the term, right? So the role of self-awareness, just being able to be in tune with your thoughts and your emotions. Then you need to ask yourself a question. The choices that I want to make, will they aid me in moving forward? So if I want to hibernate, is that going to move me forward? But it can only happen when there is that role of self-awareness, right? That I know I'm thinking, but it might not save me well, so let me not do it. Or I know I'm feeling and I need to reach out, you know, to someone. Another component of change coming out, the idea of just being self-aware of what's happening around me, both thoughts and emotions. I often talk to a pay-it-forward philosophy and practice. Is that the many whose lives organizations such as Study Trust will touch, Mad Foundation, many whose lives Yes will touch, the many whose lives Harambe will touch. There are many wonderful organizations will find it in themselves to have an understanding that their candles have been lit and they have a responsibility to go and light others. That they have been once inspired and they have a responsibility to go and inspire others. But it is, it, it, it comes first from the, the knowledge that looking at the landscape, they represent part of the privileged few. You know, and uh, listen, talking to, to, to privilege, very often when I talk to particularly uh, young black Africans, they tell me, ah, and that man, Shidi, what, what are you talking about? Privilege. Not only am I previously disadvantaged, I'm continuously disadvantaged. And often I'd be chatting to them either at university, I'd be chatting to them either within Investec, and I'd ask them, take a moment to reflect. How many other people would love to be seated in chairs that you're seated in, either at the University of Cape Town, Pretoria, Joburg, or seated as employees of Investec, and through no fault of their own, are not here. Perspective. Absolutely. And, and you realize how privileged you are. And you must own that privilege. Because the next step is with privilege comes responsibility. 
we have a huge, huge responsibility to inspire others, to give a hand up, to touch the future in an amazing way, simply because the likes of Mrs. Sussman, the likes of Reverend Hoffman, the likes of many others who were my own cheerleaders, without knowing, touched the future back then in an amazing way. Frank, a final word? I think what we see from this story for me is how owning your story, what is your story? How do you narrate it? It's such power, not only in allowing an individual to navigate a constantly changing world. I think what it also does, it's so essential for building optimism because you look where you've come from, those who have helped you, the challenges that you have gone through and realize that through the help of others, I'm here and I'm optimistic for a better future as a role to also help others. So own your story. It's really an engine to navigate change. That's a big theme that came out for me with our amazing guest this morning. I want to say there endeth the lesson. (laughs) 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 Thank you. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you very uh, much for the opportunity. Thank you, listeners, wherever you are. And uh, please find us again, as you now know. Our stories are amazing, and the insights from the scientific world are remarkable. And we're building a picture of our own lives and the world we live in. Do join us on The Change Exchange.